This is The Guardian. Today, the soaring cost of energy and the social catastrophe starting to play out in the UK. On the first floor of an office building in Brighton, a small team of staff and volunteers are taking calls from the public. Um, yeah, so my week's kind of split between debt and energy. So I They work for Citizens Advice, an independent charity offering support to people having problems making ends meet. In a normal year, there'd be a steady stream of calls from people wanting help with legal problems or finding a house or paying debts. But lately, more and more of the calls are about one problem in particular how to keep up with energy bills now and as we approach the winter. It's very tiring, I think, is is the honest answer. Rich Jones and Phil O'Sullivan are part of the Citizens Advice team in Brighton, and they're increasingly finding themselves on the phone to people who are panicking at breaking point. Yeah, it, you, you can hear it in people's voices at the minute, like that people are stretched so thin and um, it doesn't take a lot to tip them over into getting very emotional at the moment, to be honest. Um, the person I was helping was a, a man in his 80s who just broke down crying on the phone. His wife had died last year, he's almost completely isolated, and he was saying to me that he's scared that he's going to have to spend the winter sat in a cafe because he's not going to be able to afford to put his heating on for the whole time. And um, Lately, the tools they normally have to dig people out of a crisis, like the pockets of money here and there that people can apply for, feel like they're just not enough. Between inflation, energy bills, petrol costs, there's just too many things going wrong at once. I'm sure Phil feels the same. It feels completely inadequate. I think there, there is a genuine discomfort to saying to somebody, have you tried getting some extra blankets in? Have you thought about, you know, kind of keeping the windows closed between these hours of the day and opening them between these hours of the day? There's an absurdity to it, but it's what we've got left in our bag of tricks. And when you're faced with somebody who is in that much need and who's that desperate, and it's a choice between suggesting those kind of things or nothing, you do find yourself kind of, you know, kind of having to say them. I, I, I mean, I feel very angry every day. I, I really do. It almost feels insulting sometimes to say these, say those kind of things to the client because obviously the problem is so much bigger than their sort of aspect of it, their side of it. And especially when there's so much going on that is creating this issue that could be dealt with that isn't being dealt with. Which is not to say that people aren't grateful. People are terribly grateful. And sometimes that's the most painful thing of all, I think, is that somebody should have to be so grateful for such a little crumb of support to help them get through a situation that isn't of their own making and that they should never be in in the first place. That's kind of what I've seen over my years doing advice in Brighton is just that threshold for what's acceptable just going lower and lower all the time. It's hard not to feel like we're at capacity and it's also hard not to feel like this is the quiet before the storm. There's an emergency building in the UK. While oil and gas giants like Shell and BP post record profit, the cost of electricity bills was yesterday predicted to double to more than £4,200 per year for the typical household. 
A disastrous winter can be avoided, but only if the government and whoever becomes Prime Minister is willing to do what it takes. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, the UK's incoming fuel crisis and the tough decisions required to avert it. Jasper Jolly, as a financial reporter for The Guardian, you've been covering this story recently, and we've just heard from Citizens Advice, who are seeing an incredible increase in the number of people reaching out to them, needing help with their energy bills. Can you explain for us what is behind these price increases? Well, there are two main reasons that uh, prices are going up. The first one is the coronavirus pandemic and the recovery from the pandemic, and the second one is Ukraine. So, With regard to the pandemic, if you imagine all of the companies all over the world that have been forced into lockdown, all of the households as well that have been forced into lockdown, and suddenly when restrictions were removed, that meant that everyone could restart production, restart activities, restart travel, and that has all contributed to a massive demand for energy. Okay, and then you said the second factor was the war in Ukraine. How is that leading to higher energy costs? So Russia is one of the biggest individual producers of fossil fuels in the world, oil and gas. And it's also a particularly important producer of gas for some of Europe's largest economies. So when Russia invaded Ukraine at the end of February, that prompted a wave of attempts by Britain and its allies, particularly the US and the EU, to try to isolate Russia diplomatically and economically. The economic sanctions leveled against Russia by the U.S. and its allies are the harshest ever handed down, and their effects are being widely felt in Russia. They include freezing the central bank's foreign reserves, banning oil and gas imports, and suspending Russia's banks from global financial systems. And that has included efforts to limit their exports of energy, which are a massive revenue raiser for the Russian government. Those efforts to limit it have meant that Russia has tried to use its control of the taps on uh, oil and gas to exert a bit of power as well. And at the moment, it seems like it's going to try to limit particularly the supply to Europe. Okay, so again, that's a supply and demand thing. As Russia reduces the amount of gas in the market, the demand goes up and so does the cost of that energy. But specifically, the mechanism in the UK that decides those energy prices, which have been going up by so much over the past six months, is the price cap set by an independent agency, Ofgem. What is the price cap and how exactly does it work? So the price cap was introduced by Theresa May's government in 2017. The idea is basically to protect households from the market and to prevent energy companies ripping off households at the top end. It worked pretty well for a few years while the energy market was, well, in in retrospect, was relatively becalmed. Since then, it has uh, blown up, shall we say. How the cap works is it provides a maximum ceiling, the highest rate that any energy company can charge a household. So it was meant to be the ceiling And then you would have people offering lower prices and and, um, having a bit of competition in there. The issue has been that wholesale prices have risen so much that pretty much every single provider is charging exactly the same at the top end of that cap. So there really is very little competition at the moment. And uh, Jonathan Brearley, the Ofgem chief executive, has admitted that the price cap isn't fit for purpose in the current energy market. 
Have we ever seen a period like the one we're currently living through where energy prices have risen so high and so quickly? No, is the the short answer for many people alive today, certainly, certainly for me. There's a lot of people who have not lived through anything at all like this. And it seems really clear what direction prices will be going in over the next few months, especially as we draw closer to the winter. Currently, the typical bill is capped at just short of about £2,000, but the top story on The Guardian's website yesterday was that a company with a pretty good track record of predicting these things is now forecasting bills to hit over £4,200 a year by January. I mean, that's almost hard to imagine. I mean, that is just going to be extraordinary. It it really will be. And if you think of the comparison to annual household wages of around £30,000, I think, it's a big chunk of income that's going to just be taken up by one of the basic necessities to live. Morgan Wilde, you're the head of policy at Citizens Advice, and we heard earlier from some of your colleagues about the unprecedented number of calls they're getting from people worried about paying their energy bills this winter. You've been following the data on that from across the country, and Citizens Advice has just put out their July 2022 report. Tell me, what kind of picture does that paint of what's going on in the UK right now? We've never seen anything like this, nothing on this scale. And I think what's particularly worrying is we always have a bit of a spike of people not being able to pay their bills in winter when they're struggling to heat their homes. We're seeing more people with those kinds of problems now in June, July than we were in January. That is completely unprecedented in my time here. And looking back across our data, doesn't seem like a situation we've seen for many, many years. So what does that look like on the ground inside your citizens' advice hubs and call centres? What are your staff there seeing? So we're handling a huge volume of calls, huge number of people coming to us at local citizens' advice offices. And it's playing out as a lot of stories of desperation. So one that's particularly stuck in my mind is somebody who couldn't afford to uh, top up their prepayment meter for their energy. They'd been just about getting by by uh, getting their neighbours in the upstairs flat to dangle an extension cord through the window so they could do basic things like turning the light on. Their neighbours, struggling to pay their own energy bills, couldn't afford to help them out in that way anymore. And this person just came to us in desperation, not knowing how they were going to carry on lighting their home and worried about their ability to put food on the table. And who are some of these people in our communities that are most at risk from these spiking energy costs? So obviously these bills are affecting everyone, but we're seeing particular groups more frequently. Um, So first and foremost, we're seeing people on low incomes. The other group that we're seeing in large numbers is disabled people. The proportion of disabled people coming to us 
because they have a cost of living issue, so issue of energy, maybe issue of their ability to pay rent, is now over 50%. God, so more than half of people living with a disability who come to you for support are now struggling with a cost of living issue. Morgan, in a situation like the one people are facing, what kinds of advice can Citizens Advice give? What are you telling them to do? Yeah, so there's a range of things that uh, people can do. Take the example of somebody struggling with their energy bill. We'd always advise people to first off speak to their energy supplier. Not everybody knows that their energy supplier has a set of obligations to you if you're struggling to pay your bill. Uh, that could be giving you emergency credits, could be agreeing a debt repayment plan if you're falling behind on your bills already. And then we can also do things that help in the longer run. So people are often not aware about specific benefits that they're entitled to, and we can help people make applications for those. I would say that this is a situation where we're running out of tools that we have to help people in certain situations. Yeah, the support often isn't there at the level or scale that's necessary to help them through this winter. What do you make uh, of this campaign that's getting a bit of momentum online to simply not pay your bills, like people just collectively refusing to pay their energy suppliers? So we see lots of people in a situation where they just can't afford to pay their energy bill. And I really recognize and empathize why people might be feeling that they're running out of options. To my mind, it really underlies uh, the uh, need for further government action. Jasper, one thing I don't really understand here is that as energy prices have been skyrocketing for everybody, the profits of oil and gas firms like BP and Shell are also going through the roof. How does that work? What do you make of that disconnect? Well, I'd say it isn't a disconnect. It's the same story. It's uh, you know two sides of the same coin. Right. Everyone in, in the world, to some extent, is connected to this global energy system. And... It just means that companies like BP, Shell, ExxonMobil, Chevron, Francis Total, they can all just charge more for their energy. And eventually someone has to pay it and it all ends up at the consumer eventually. Like, I do I do understand that, that that's just the price they're able to get away with. Like, I get that as a concept, but it makes me also kind of angry that while so many people are suffering, having to borrow electricity from their neighbours or choosing between eating or heating their homes, that these companies and their shareholders are having a wonderful time. This is all fantastic for their bottom line. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it, it is pretty extraordinary to, to look at, but um, that, that is the system that has been set up at the moment. So it would take something from the political side to, to change that and to, to limit those profits. Well, let's talk about that political side. The Tories did introduce a windfall tax that oil and gas firms would have to pay an extra 25% tax on profits made in the UK, but that only applies to profits made from the end of May. Is that going to have any effect? It it will certainly have some effect. Uh, The Treasury estimates that it will raise £5 billion over the course of a year, 
which is not nothing. But if you, you just have to look at the share prices of the energy companies to show that it hasn't reined them in too much. You know, it's a relatively small cost for them. And when you think five billion pounds over the whole industry and BP, for instance, is reported a similar level of profit for just one quarter and Shell a bigger level of profit for one, just one quarter. It's not a game changer for the oil companies. How do these oil and gas companies respond to suggestions that because they're making so much money right now, that they should be taxed a little more? A bit more of that should be going towards you know, cushioning the rest of us who have to pay these sky-high energy bills. So the oil companies argue that it's their job to invest in our energy supply in keeping security of supply. So they argue that with those profits, they'll be able to drill more oil and gas to provide energy that that we all still do need, even if it does have significant carbon emissions. They also argue that they are the ones who are making these investments in renewable energies to some extent, and that if you were to tax them more heavily, then it would reduce their incentive to invest in renewable energy. Mm, I see. So they're saying, you know, we we need these huge profits because we want to use it to invest in in renewables. And if you don't give us all that money for the fossil fuel we pump, then we'll have less incentive to try and produce the green energy that we all want. Exactly. Although another important caveat to add is that they have also been returning a lot of money to their shareholders. Billions and billions of dollars across the big oil companies have been returned to shareholders in the form of share buybacks and dividends. So that's money that is just going straight to investors, is not being invested, reinvested in in our energy system. Hmm. We also know that at the moment, renewables still make up only a tiny proportion of of the business of a company like, like BP or Shell, right? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. If you look at BP's investment plans for net zero for this year, it's $2.5 billion, which is less than the uh, share buybacks that they have already announced this year. So Hmm. these things have to be taken in proportion. What about the government? Are they considering anything else above the 400 quid subsidy they've already announced to cushion the blow this is going to have to, to people's budgets? I think there's a sense at the moment that in the UK, the government isn't really gripping this with both hands. We've got a prime minister who is on his way out. And to be honest, it's probably going to be something that is going to be the top of the entree for the incoming prime minister, whether that's Liz Truss or Rishi Sunak. But uh, yet yeah, they certainly will have to do something because that, well, we saw the Bank of England's predictions last week of a really deep recession coming for the UK and something's going to have to change. And Jasper, how is this problem factoring into the Tory leadership race? Like, do we see either Rishi Sunak or Liz Truss trying to shape their campaigns around a problem that is going to be affecting virtually everybody in the country? No, is the short answer. It's a tricky thing because it's not good news. It's very hard to build a kind of positive vision around the idea that we are heading into really serious economic conditions. There have been some proposals, uh, Sunak, who you have to remember was the chancellor until very recently, he has said that he'll cut VAT on energy bills, which has already been described as a U-turn by some of his uh, former cabinet allies already. And then Liz Truss, on the other side, has said that she will cut the so-called green levies on our energy bills. I would immediately reverse the national insurance increase. I would also have a temporary moratorium on the green energy level to save people money on fuel bills. But I also keep corporate 
corporation tax low. Unfortunately, those green sure levies are only a very small part of our energy bills and are also contributing importantly to the UK's own efforts to transition to a, a net zero economy. So that would seem like a false economy in any case and simply won't make up for the massive increase in prices that's coming down the line. Morgan, you're already seeing unprecedented core volumes, and we've also seen things like the mayor of Bristol announcing warm spaces where people would be able to go if they can't afford to heat their homes. It all just sounds incredibly bleak. But how much worse do you think it's going to get as the weather starts to get colder? Well, I think everyone at Citizens Advice is just hoping that the winter is relatively mild. I'm incredibly worried about that. I almost don't want to contemplate it. But I think you are talking about millions and millions of people who won't be able to afford their bill. Just to like give one example from our data, people who we help for debt advice at the moment are already on average £650 in debt to their energy company. So we're already in an incredibly challenging situation where people's budgets are at the absolute brink or they're already falling badly behind and something is going to have to give. Morgan, we talk about this like it's a crisis that's only erupted in the past six months. But for you, as someone who's been on the front lines of it for many years, do you see it that way? I mean, is this something that has come out of out of nowhere? Should we have been expecting that in the middle of 2022, we'd be staring down a cost of living crisis? So I think what is unprecedented is just the scale of energy bill. But I think Our advisors know and we know that the level of support that has been available through the benefits system has been too low for too long. And that's led to this situation where we are essentially lurching from crisis to crisis. That that you can't, as a government or society, control crises like the war in Ukraine, but you do have control over how strong your society is when those crises do arrive. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, if if you look at us compared to um, many of our neighbours, everybody is experiencing a huge energy price shock. But in Britain, we tend to be one of the countries where that shock is worst for people on the lowest income. Coming up, one pathway to reduce energy prices that we're not taking. Jasper, As we explore different ways to try to ease the burden on people, could the companies that extract oil and gas bring prices down by just pumping a bit more, extracting a bit more, flooding the market with more supply, and in doing so, bring those bills down just a bit? They absolutely could. If you look at the oil price over the last three years, during the the time of the pandemic, 
oil prices at one point went negative, below zero. So it's all dependent on that balance of supply and demand. If supply rises, then prices will generally fall. If demand rises faster than supply, then prices will generally rise. At the moment, we're in a stage where demand is higher than supply. The simple way to shift the equilibrium down without changing our behavior as consumers would be to increase the supply. The problem is that oil producers, whether that is companies like BP and Shell, or whether that is whole nations like Saudi Arabia, they have an incentive to have a high price. It's it's helpful to them. It, it helps their revenues. And they are cautious as well of, uh, in the words of BP's chief executive, Bernard Looney, chasing higher prices. If they bring on too much production, then the price will fall, and that could make some of their projects unprofitable. So to be honest, there is not that much incentive for them to to bring on more production. Hmm, I see. So, I mean, as well as this crisis being the result of the pandemic and the war in Ukraine, it's also in a very small way, I mean, manufactured. It's one that we, we could lessen for people, but but that would come at the cost of these oil and gas company profits. Exactly. And also at geopolitical cost, if you look at Joe Biden when he was campaigning to be president. Khashoggi was in fact murdered and dismembered. And I believe in the order of the crown prince. And I would make it very clear we were going to in fact make them pay the price and make them in fact the pariah that they are. Said that he would treat Saudi Arabia as a pariah during the current crisis. He has had to go cap in hand to the Saudi Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman and met him to try to persuade him to pump more oil, to, to try and tip that equilibrium back down towards lower prices. We had a good, we had a good d- d- discussion on ensuring global energy security and adequate oil supplies to support global economic growth. And that will begin shortly. I'm, and, uh, and I'm doing all I can to increase the supply for the United States of America, which I expect to happen. Boris Johnson did exactly the same. He went and, and visited Saudi Arabia as well to, to try to persuade them so far with uh, little effect. And Jasper, where do renewables fit into all of this? Like, if we as a society, and I guess these companies too, had more aggressively invested in renewables over the past couple of decades, would that have made us more resilient in the face of these kinds of of crises, like a pandemic or or a war in Europe? Absolutely. You know, renewable energy is, uh, to a large extent, free energy. You know, it's coming from the sun, it's coming from the wind. It's there. It's just about harnessing it. So we're going to make this this transition. The, the technology is there. It's just about getting the pace and the political will to, to make it more quickly. And mm. one positive thing from this crisis is that it has really shown governments, particularly in Europe, that they need to make the transition more quickly and get out from underneath the dependence on nations such as Russia who supply the fossil fuel economy. Yeah, I mean, if not for reasons of saving the planet, at least for reasons of, of national security. But Jasper, the cost of household energy isn't going to be the only pressure on people's budgets over the next few months, because we're also seeing a rise in the cost of living, of food, of clothes, of cars, of almost everything. Where do we see this all going over the next few months as people continue to struggle to pay their bills? Like, is it fair to say this is all going to get a lot worse before it gets better? It's certainly very hard to see it any other way. If you look at the Bank of England's 
prediction last week, they said that inflation in the UK will rise to 13% annually. We have to always remember that all of these things are interconnected as well. So the energy price feeds into the amount that, say, it costs a farmer to fill up their tractor. That feeds into the price of food. That then feeds into wages and you know people need more to live. But then if people are paying more for their energy, then they also have less to spend on leisure activities. So we're really going to feel in the next few months how interconnected all of these things are and how if you bring a shock to one part of the economy, it really will be felt across the economy, across prices of, uh, of all kinds of things. So it's, it's very difficult to see how in the short term we can avoid that. Okay, Jasper Jolly, it's not very good news, but I appreciate you giving it to us anyway. Thanks very much. Thank you. That was Jasper Jolly, a financial reporter with The Guardian. Thanks very much to him and to Morgan Wilde, Rich Jones and Phil O'Sullivan from Citizens Advice. You can get in touch with them at citizensadvice.org.uk. And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Alex Atak. It was exec'd by Josh Kelly. Sound design was by Axel Kakutier. The executive producers are Elizabeth Casson and Phil Maynard. We're back tomorrow. This is The Guardian.